Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Play ball. Football, that is. Steelworkers secure a tentative contract agreement with USFL players. Meanwhile, Starbucks workers double down on collective action. And today on the show, we'll check in with the Ohio Federation of Teachers and the insulators. That would be Local 8 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the Tuesday, December 20th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with a longtime supporter of America's Workforce. That would be Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org is her website. We have uh, three stories we're going to get into on the show today. Number one involves union busting at Kip Columbus. Now, Kip Columbus is a campus with four charter schools. And uh, last month, November 15th, educators went public with their organizing campaign, and it was successful. 78% of the employees signed union cards and asked management to respect their decision and recognize their union. You know, there's a lot of that going on right now, okay? Well... No surprise here, I guess. Management refused to recognize them, and instead, they embarked on a very aggressive anti-union campaign, a union-busting campaign, which included a legal challenge to delay or block an NLRB election, which is pretty frivolous. You, You just can't do that, okay? It's pretty much against the law. Now, here's the other part of the story. Kip Columbus receives more than $15 million in public funds every year. So they're using taxpayer money to bust the union. Something really, really wrong with that. Also, what we're going to get into is the lame duck roundup. (laughs) We had a real interesting legislative session in the state of Ohio, and it just wrapped up. And, um, There is some good news. There were enough lawmakers who listened to the needs of teachers, students, and parents, and they voted down HB 151. Now, what's HB 151? Well, that bill had a late 2,000-page amendment. Can you believe that? The amendment was 2,000 pages. That would have completely restructured the Department of Education and give the governor more power It would also discriminate against trans student athletes and uh, ban schools from having mandates for any vaccines. (laughs) It's amazing what's going on here. Lastly, uh, the Cleveland Teachers Union got a lot of play here over the uh, past weekend. Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, joined what they call a Cleveland Reads event. Now, this is a joint campaign of the Cleveland Teachers Union, the city of Cleveland, the uh, public library system, and the Metropolitan School District. The goal 
is for the entire city to collectively read one million books and or one million minutes next year in 2023. So uh, Melissa joined Randy Weingarten and uh, a number of officials to kick that off. That was this past Saturday from uh, noon to three. That's a great idea. Boy, I tell you, it's so important to get kids to read. And uh, I'm sure Melissa will comment on this. Um, There's an individual who served in Donald Trump's cabinet, Mike Pompeo. He was the Secretary of State. He recently said, Randy Weingarten is the most dangerous person in America. Now, obviously, he doesn't like union leaders, but uh, he feels that uh, Randy is uh, has gone too far. That is the most dangerous person in the world. Not the person that runs North Korea or the uh, premier in China or Vladimir Putin. No, Randy Weingarten is the most dangerous person in the world. (sighs) That's the world we live in today, I guess. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Terry Burke. Terry is a business manager of Heat and Frost Insulators. That would be Local 8, based in Cincinnati. Insulators8.com is their website. Randy started the apprenticeship program back in 1992 and completed the five-year program in 1997, was elected to the Apprenticeship Committee in December of that year. And then uh, later on, he was elected to Local 8's Executive Board, 2005, Local 8's Vice President, 2009. He uh, became an organizer and uh, was in charge of their uh, apprenticeship program. We'll talk about all of that. And we're also going to talk about um, special financial assistance. You might have heard the term SFA. That stands for Special Financial Assistance. That is tied to the American Rescue Plan. And Local 8's pension plan will be eligible to make applications starting in March of next year. Now, as you know by now, I'm hoping you know this, one of the first things that President Biden did when he took office was to get the American Rescue Plan passed. And in that plan, there's about $90 billion set aside for pensions, primarily for a lot of the building trades and the Teamsters. We talked about the Teamsters just a a week, week and a half ago, in the Central States Fund, which is now going to be solvent for the next 30 years. Well, the multi-employer plans were suffering, and heat and frost is in that category, so we'll get into that. We'll talk about organizing. Apparently, there's a new contractor that they just organized and also the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Talked about that extensively with Pete Almini, and that has finally been introduced into the halls of Congress. And uh, that's going to step up the notch here for mechanical insulation. It makes sense. If you invest in mechanical insulation, you're going to save money in the long run. And don't we all want to save money? So Terry Burke, business manager, Heat and Frost Insulators Local 8, will be joining us later in the show. Now for a brief look into the world of labor, this segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, equity, investment options to clients nationwide. And the website, boydwatterson.com. 
Hats off to the United Steelworkers. They announced yesterday that the union has reached tentative agreement with the United States Football League on a new contract for some 350 players, thus setting a clear, viable path for the sports league's second season and beyond. Now, the players are members of the newly formed United Football Players Association, which is affiliated with the United Steelworkers. Comment here from Ken Farrell II. Ken is president of that union. Ken said employment security and working conditions are areas where the proposed contract will make a difference, and improving them will give players more opportunities to thrive. Throughout the organizing and bargaining process, players sought to have a strong voice in their own future, and the tentative agreement delivers just that. So congratulations to the United Steelworkers for that one. A total of 3,400 graduate student workers, this is at the University of Southern California, USC, filed their petition to hold an election to form their union with the Graduate Student Workers Organizing Committee that's affiliated with the United Auto Workers. Also, 425 academic student workers filed for a separate election for union representation with the UAW at the University of Alaska. Maggie Davis, teaching assistant at uh, USC, said, With the overwhelming support our union has, graduate student workers are delivering a clear message. And that message is, we deserve better. We have seen what our peers at the University of California and elsewhere have been able to accomplish through unionization. So we are forming a union so we can have a powerful voice and a seat at the table. What's the old line? If you don't have a seat at the table... Then you're on the menu. You don't want to be on the menu. No, 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 no. Last Friday, Starbucks Workers United, the union behind organizing efforts at the national coffee chain, announced that over 1,000 baristas at store locations across the country participated in a three-day workout. Starbucks Workers United called this unfair labor practice strike, the longest collective action in the campaign's history. Specifically, workers are fighting back against union busting by the company, including the recent closing of the first store to organize in Seattle. Now, Starbucks Workers United press release highlighted that the National Labor Relations Board had issued 45 complaints against Starbucks for over 900 violations of labor law, making the company one of the worst violators of federal labor law in modern history. The uh, striking employees also called on customers to support the union by not purchasing Starbucks gift cards this year as part of their campaign. Here's the hashtag for that campaign. It's on Twitter. No contract no gift cards. That's that's the uh, the Twitter handle. No contract, no gift cards. The union also published a map showing 
the Starbucks stores where workers walked out. Pretty interesting. That's a uh, vigilant group there. No doubt about that. They're doubling down. The uh, singers of the Philadelphia Symphonic Choir are organizing with the American Guild of Musical Artists, but management is refusing to recognize their union. So to put pressure on their employer, the union is planning to hold a leafleting event at the Kimmel Center in Philadelphia. So uh, we support those workers there. That's the singers at the uh, Philadelphia Symphonic Choir. All right, we're coming up to break time. When we come back, we're going to check in with Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, too. If you like a show, and I know you do, there's many shows that we do here on America's Workforce that really get a lot of play. But if you like it, share that show. We're trying to grow the show, especially with the new year right around the corner. And when we get more downloads, our sponsors do like that, and uh, we'll get more diverse unions on the show. In fact, uh, we're trying to work out a partnership with the AFL-CIO in the new year because there's 58 unions now in the AFL-CIO, and we want to touch on every one of them. All right, let's go to line number one and join one of our longtime regulars, also a sponsor, and that would be Melissa Cropper on behalf of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Well, as you know, this has been one heck of a year for organizing, and it's also a heck of a year for union busting. You see a lot of people wanting to form a union, and then management comes down and plays their dirty little tricks. Melissa Cropper, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about union busting. I guess this is what called Kip Columbus for charter schools. Give me the story here. Correct. Yes, yes. So, uh it's great to be back, first of all. Thank you. But, yes, we've been 
As you know, we've been on an organizing streak uh, here at Ohio Federation of Teachers, and the latest election that we have filed for is with KIPP Charter School in Columbus. Uh, we filed with 78% of the workers saying they wanted to be part of a union. And we are running into all kinds of challenges. All, all the old-school union-busting techniques are, are being thrown against us. Uh, for example, uh, charter schools in Ohio, courts have decided, or should be organized under the NLRB instead of CERB. And uh, the administration at KIPP is challenging that, the jurisdic- jurisdiction of that, even though we just had the same battle, the same the same court battle in March when we organized Menlo Park Charter School in Cleveland area. Same argument, same battle. We won that just in March of this year. Uh, yet KIPP is, is filing and challenging jurisdiction also. It, it's simply a delay tactic. And then on top of that, they're holding mandatory captive audience meetings uh, with the teachers uh, weekly where they pull the teachers out of their classrooms, either for the meeting or to cover for someone who's in a meeting, so pulling teachers out of their classrooms for an hour, hour and a half at a time, so taking the teachers away from their kids to tell them how bad the unions are. And to top that off, the people they have brought in to to do these captive audience meetings won't even give their full name, uh, tell where they're from. We don't know anything about these people. They've just been hired using public dollars, by the way, to come in and pull our teachers out of class and tell them about the evils of the union. So it really is, like I said, the the oldest tricks in the book, the nastiest tricks in the book that they're pulling. But we've got an incredible organizing team there, and I'm, I'm confident we're going to win. It's just we're just going to have to play out their, their stall tactics. Melissa, stop right there. Okay. <laughs> the kids are in school. I'm, let, let's paint a picture yeah. for our listeners here. The, the kids are in school. The teacher is teaching. That's what teachers do. They teach students. Then all of a sudden, somebody comes in, takes that teacher out of the classroom to -hmm. tell them about the evils of unions. Now, what happens? You said that's about an hour at least. So the kids are left. An hour and a half. So the teacher is either being pulled out of their class or pulled away from their planning time. Typically what happens is they're pulled out of their class. And they're strategic about how they pull them. They do them in small groups. So they'll take a group of people who maybe didn't sign in favor of the election first and keep them together, never put them in with people they know are strong supporters. But if they're pulled out of their classroom, then another teacher who happens to be on planning time will lose their planning time to cover for the teacher who's been pulled from their class. Okay, okay. I just was wondering if they were unattended. I mean, all of a sudden. Well, they're not unattended, but... Uh, but they don't have their regular classroom teacher in there either. So basically, you've got a babysitting hour going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The bottom line: the learning process is disrupted. I mean, that's that's the Correct. pretty 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 accurate example of what's going on right now. How, how long has? By the way, this I forgot to mention on? that Kip Charter School got fifteen million dollars from the state this past year. Yeah, so I want to. I want to get into that. Money is going. Yeah, I want to get into that. That 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 needs to be said on the show. But how long has this been going on? When they took the vote, seventy eight percent signed union cards, and uh, right away they started the, the these tactics. Right then? away, yes. Right away, yes. Wow! Wow! Okay, yes. fifteen million dollars in public funds, taxpayers' money every year. That this yes. uh, this uh, Kip Columbus, which is again a campus with four charter schools, um, what are there any Ill- illegalities on that? I mean, they can use public funds to union bust or what? 
Well, um, apparently they are. Uh, we, we, we we look into the use of public dollars. I think they're allowed to use their public dollars as they as they, they choose. If these are the kinds of things that the public needs to know and the kind of things that we're calling into question. Is this really a proper use of, of public dollars? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the Ohio legislature. This story isn't much better, but I guess there <laughs> there is some good news. I mean, okay, let, let's backtrack a little bit. Yes. Uh, in the midterm elections, I remember you and I had a conversation. There were three Democrats that ran a pretty good campaign for the mm-hmm. State Board of Education. They all won. They were all supported by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, and apparently um, – some lawmakers in Columbus on the other side of the fence didn't see that as an opportunity to uh, move the State Department of Education forward. So they decided to, well, they tried to recraft the department and put it under the governor's office. So maybe let's you you pick it up from there, because apparently um, this is very confusing to a lot of people. But I guess there's a win in this, right? Correct. Yes, and it was wonderful to go into the holiday season with a win. Yes. So we had three people who won seats on the state school board. I do want to clarify: those are nonpartisan seats. Now, obviously, we pick people who are hold our our democratic uh, union values, um, and they they won those seats. And the state school board is, you know, on the state school board, you have 11 elected members and eight appointed by the governor. So the governor has some control over over the state school board. However, uh, Representative Reinecke, or I think it's Senator Reinecke now, actually uh, uh, put forward this bill. It's actually been sitting around for quite a while, but it never got any traction. There never seemed to be any interest in it until after this election which basically, he, by constitution, the state school board has to exist. So it basically took most of the powers away from the state school board and the state superintendent and instead allowed the governor to create an office of a Department of Education and Workforce Development with uh, a, a secretary of education, I guess you call it, or a, a director who would be over that, and then two deputy directors, one for uh, career tech slash workforce development and one for the rest of K-12. And so basically took all the most, of the most of the powers of the state board and put them under the governor instead. Really all the state school board would, would do at that point in time is control teacher licensure. But standards and and education policy would all fall under the governor. Um, obviously, we think that um, diverts the will of the people. Um, we had a democratic process for determining who's going to be on the state school board to make those decisions, and now they're trying to just take that power away and and put it elsewhere. But you know, this went through. They did put it through some hearings. Uh, we had people who testified. I, I testified in both the Senate and the House. They grilled me for over an hour in the House um, about this bill. But at the end of the day, they were having trouble. The Republicans were having trouble even getting votes from their own party. The Democrats were all in solidarity opposed to it. Um, the Republicans were having trouble with some of their party, and they started throwing all kinds of stuff into it. They they th- they added an amendment that basically said uh, no more vaccinations to go to. You don't have to have any vaccinations to go to school. 
They threw, threw in an amendment about transgender athletes. They threw everything under the sun to try to get all the Republican votes, but they never were able to get them all. So with the strength of the Democratic caucus and the handful of Republicans, we were able to get the bill stopped. I'm reading they had, what, a 2,000-page amendment to that uh, that legislation? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, so, yeah, it's a little confusing. So, actually, uh, that bill was about 2,000 pages. They added it to another bill that they were trying to pass. So the 2,000 pages was that bill that got added to another another bill. That the, so they're trying to pass this under another bill and slip in a 2,000-page amendment. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very tricky the way they do this stuff. You get in lame duck. And, again, you don't know what's going to happen because they'll, they'll do stuff like that, throw a 2,000-page amendment on something, yeah. and, <laughs> and no one's got time to thoroughly look at it. So, right. So that's how, that's how this crazy legislation gets passed because they do it at the last minute when no one has the time to look at it thoroughly, and then before you know it, it's law. So, again, this one, they're going to take the whole Department of Education and in 90 days turn it all over to the governor. Yeah, uh, and then they kept telling, they kept telling me, <laughs> they kept telling me that we didn't have time. Our first and second graders don't have time to wait to make change in this state, and we need to streamline the process and make it less bureaucratic. And I said, when does everyone, when does anyone ever said that creating a government department streamlines things and makes it less bureaucratic? <laughs> How is that going to speed things up? That's like a, a huge slowdown. You can see I get a little fired up about this topic. So. Well, you should be. Everybody should be on this. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. Oh, my god! It's gosh. ridiculous, and, and I think people what people have to ask themselves, because this bill will come back. It will be back in January. They've already said that. It will be back. And I think what the public needs to think about is, you know, it's the state school board now, but at what, time, at what point in time are they going to determine that you don't need a local school board either? It should be a local workforce development board that's aligning your community with whatever jobs are available, and you don't need an, a, 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 an elected school board anymore. Just just put together a workforce board and let them determine what you need. Wow. The uh, the part about the vaccines. Now, are, are they even talking about the, the, the typical, like, polio, measles, mumps, those oh, yeah, kind of this, vaccines? This bill, yeah, this bill that they threw in there with the other bill said that uh, you couldn't mandate any vaccines for school. Measles, oh my. mumps, diphtheria, whatever. Yeah, couldn't mandate any vaccine for school. And you know, there's a, there's a measles outbreak going on right now, Correct. primarily because Correct. of what we're just talking about. People are refusing to get the vaccine. Correct. Jeez. Yeah. Unbelievable. So again, people need to keep their eyes and ears open. Uh, listen to shows like your, yours where we're giving updates because we'll see this kind of stuff again during a budget cycle. That's a, another yeah. time where it's typical to throw things in because you've got this huge budget bill, you know, 3,000 pages or more long, and it's easy for them to just slip something crazy in there without people realizing it. And then, like I said, then it becomes law. You think, where did this come from? I don't remember hearing about this. And it's because they slid it in under something else. Right, right. Melissa, you're a longtime supporter of the show. Whenever something like that happens, you have my personal cell. Text me. And I'll get that information on the show. I mean, you come on once a month. I try to monitor as many news sites as possible because when this crazy stuff comes up, our listeners deserve to hear that. They they need to know what's going on. You know, elections yeah. matter. We got people in the office that uh, they're coming up with some crazy, crazy ideas. And we got to inform the public about those ideas. And here's a good example. I mean, because uh, you 
are so progressive and you understand what's going on right away, you got your troops together and said, hey, you know what? We got to do something about this. And you, you know, got enough lawmakers to hear your point of view and put a delay on it. But to your point, it ain't over. It's going to happen again next month. So it'll happen again. And same with, you know, same with um, HDR 6, you know, what they're trying to trying to change it so that if they do pass something we don't like, we, it will take 60% of people to, to change it yeah. um, at, at the ballot. So, again, that will come back, too. So it, it, they're trying to manipulate the system so that they are the sole decision makers and people can't do it, anything about it. Yeah. And people power is all, all we have. I mean, people power is all we have. At the, we have that at the ballot box, but we also have to recognize the power that we have outside of the ballot box, which is to collectively work together to, to push back against what's wrong and to push forward on the things that we think are right. All right, one more story here. I see you spent some time with the most dangerous person in the world here. That would be uh, (laughs) Randy Weingarten. Yeah, those of you uh, listening to the show, Mike Pompeo, who served as Secretary of State under uh, Donald Trump, uh, said Randy Weingarten, president of the Ohio, I'm not, not the Ohio, the American Federation of Teachers, is the most dangerous person in the world. Uh, The guy obviously trying to get some print because he wants to run for uh, for president but uh, apparently this past weekend you uh, you and Randy were here trying to promote reading talk to me about yes, that god forbid she was trying to get kids to read which quite honestly is dangerous to some people because they don't want, they don't want people to be able to read if i know what's going on so exactly exactly <laughs> yes so yes, Cleveland is actually running a, a huge initiative, huge campaign that I think is exciting. Our Cleveland Teachers Union is working with uh, the library, with the mayor's office, with just a lot of partners around this Cleveland Reads initiative, which the goal is in 2023 that there's a million books read and a million minutes spent reading. So it's a it's a really wonderful literacy campaign, and our role in it, you know, Cleveland Teachers Union role in it, is to work with AFT, who has the partnership with First Book. We've talked about some of the other events we've done across the state this year, uh, but they brought in uh, forty five thousand books to give away to students on on uh, students and kids in the community uh, this past Saturday. Uh, so they had it at a um, public auditorium, beautiful setting. I'd, I'd never actually been in there before. It was just beautiful. But they also had uh, lots of different vendors there um, promoting some educational products and preschool services and uh, health services, all kinds of services. Um, they had a, a little skating rink set up for the kids to have some fun with and a lot of other games set up. And it, it was just really a fun day for parents and students and, and teachers um, capped off by them by people being able to take home as many books as they wanted to take home to start their own personal libraries. Good stuff. Clevelandreads.com. You want to get some more information on, on what they're doing. Yeah, you're real dangerous when you read. <laughs> real <Yeah>. dangerous <laughs> when you read. <laughs> All, right. All right, Melissa, great job as usual. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. You can check them out on Facebook, OFT Union, and you can follow them on Twitter, OFT Advocate. Great job as usual. You take care. We'll talk to you in the new year in 2023. In the new year. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Terry Burke is business manager of the Insulators Local Aid in Cincinnati. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. 
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up. And receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go to Cincinnati, Ohio right now and join Terry Burke. Terry is the business manager with the Heat and Frost Insulators. That would be local8insulators8.com is their website. Terry Burke, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Good, good. Thank you for having me. You got it. You got it. We do a lot with the heat and frost insulators. Pete Almini, who's uh, the head of the Labor Management Trust, uh, joins us each and every month. Very articulate on the issues, mechanical insulation. I see the uh, Federal Mechanical Insulation Act is finally, well, a lawmaker finally introduced. We'll talk about that. But I always like to ask my guests how they got involved in the trades. And uh, it's a good experience for those listening to the show on on how maybe they too would get involved in the trades every story is a little bit different terry what's yours go ahead well um i'm not a son of an insulator or anything like that like a lot of people are in our, in our industry um my father's a teamster and uh we had a cousin that was a that's an insulator he recently retired and uh, there was a pipe fitter, so he spoke to the insulator first, Mr. John McCarron, and uh, that's how I got started with this, with the apprenticeship. Took the, the test at the time and interviewed and started, and that was in 1992. Okay, so it was a kind of a family thing. You glad you made the decision then, right? Oh yeah, it's worked out great for me and my family the whole time. There's been some tough times, but yeah, this uh, having these union cards always got me through um, some tough times. How uh, how long have you been business manager, Terry? I got elected in 2017, so almost five years, I guess. Yeah. How many members in in local eight right now? Uh, about 160. We're yeah, we're kind of trying to climb out of a bad spot we were in, but uh, we're always a 
250-ish man local. But, uh, yeah, so we're about 160 right now. Okay. Um, are, do you want to talk about the bad spot now that it's gone or, or what? Where, where are we with everything right now? Yeah, so what happened, I guess, a uh, bunch of things, but the uh, two big factors were uh, the coal burners, which this place, our area was, you know, had lots of coal-fired units, and then that was our bread and butter um, as they started pulling them back, taking those down, you know, things pulled back. And then our pension problem was another factor um, where contractors were probably reluctant to do work in our area because of the unfunded withdrawal liability associated with doing business here, you know, paying into that pension, the defined benefit pension plan. So, yeah, so recently, you know, the SFA, Special Finance Assistance, um, that has kind of cleared the air in a lot of different ways. So we don't have the money yet. We're all eligible to make application uh, March 11th of 23. Our, our plan came into that last category um, that the PBGC put out. So we're, we're uh, excited about that at the same time, you know, kind of anxious, you know, to get that application in and get things moving. But um, that piece has helped um, with our membership. There was a lot of infighting um, with, you know, resentment towards the retirees. Um, mm-hmm. We were, it was really ugly at one point where we were going to probably be forced to file the MEPRA application, which is where you actually, members have a vote, all participants have a vote, but you essentially are cutting people's benefits as well as retiree benefits, which is a really ugly thing to, to go through. <clears throat> and then, you know, legislation passed the, uh, the American Recovery Plan, mm-hmm. ARP money, yeah. which the SFA was associated with that, and that's just, yeah, we're looking forward to that. You know, I think it's going to help us get back going, uh, get contractors back in here. And they're already in here now, um, so I think there's a little bit, they're still apprehensive, but they're uh, they're doing a little bit more work than they have. You know. So, in a nutshell, the, the, the contractors didn't want to put money in the plan because they figured the plan was going to be insolvent. Is that kind of what was going on there the past couple of years? Yeah, in essence, yeah, and if that that was to happen, any any contractor did business in that time frame, like I think it was five years, within five years, all that unfunded withdrawal liability gets spread out amongst all the, yeah. the contractors that don't work. Yeah, so I, I'm Terry. I'm glad we're talking about this because uh, that happened. I believe it was at the end of 2014, and the Congress had an opportunity to help out the multi-employer pension funds and they kicked the can down the road and here mm-hmm. we are what is it uh, almost eight nine years later and it and it took joe biden to come out there with the, the american rescue plan that was the first piece of legislation that passed right. and and mm-hmm. uh moved the needle in the right direction and put i believe the total was 90 billion dollars into that plan in fact, we just talked about central states. You said your dad was a teamster. He's got to be pretty happy about yeah, what, yeah. Uh, yeah, about what happened on that one. That one was they were looking at like a 60-70% haircut on pensions. Right. And people don't realize what that would do to the economy. You think about how many retirees are out there. And if that happened, what are they what are they going to do? Are they going to go back to work? 
at, you know what, 70, 75 years of age? I mean, is that is that the America we want? I don't think so. All right. So the bottom line is it, it's moving in the right direction. And you're saying, let me get this uh, correct here, March 11th is when Local 8 will be uh, will be eligible then? Is that right? Yeah. Plans of our size, and um, which is a small plan, um, and membership participant level. Yeah, we're the, the seventh, the last group, which is the largest group, actually, um, to be eligible to put the application in. So, Gotcha. So she's going to be busy. Uh, yeah, they're very busy. So a lot of that bad stuff, you, you feel that you're on the right track right now, especially with legislation like that. And, and I see, too, uh, that you, you organize a new contractor. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, and that's probably the SFA probably helped with that, with that Matt, you know, with that uh, venture, um, that work. So we had a, um, a contractor approach us to do work. It's actually... Uh, so Kells Lead Insulation, um, which is a family member, things went south based on the pension probably, or at least in part. And he started his own business, called us about a year later, maybe eight months later, and wanted to do a uh, work partner with us on one, one job agreement, uh, one of those 80-acre sites. Um, so we signed up. uh I sent our organizer, my right-hand man, Jimmy Walsh, <clears throat> sent him over there, get things started in the right way, you know, the right direction. And uh, 10 business days later, they signed our regular agreement. Um, okay, good. Yeah, I'm just working 10 guys, so it's another, yeah, another job opportunity for our members. Um, and things are so far so good, going very well. Um, um, yeah, we're looking forward to continuing that uh, that partnership. So, first time I I can't think of a time when we organized uh, a non union employer since I've been in this in this local. Um, so that's been thirty years. So it's very good. You know, I'm very excited about that. So, well, yeah, you should feel good about that. I, I'm just wondering because of uh, signing up that uh, that contractor, it's got to pave the way for others to. Uh, to jump on board, don't you think? Yeah, that's the hope, right? That this thing kind of, you know, the snowball effect of this. Yeah. Um, there's other smaller local contractors that we're kind of, you know, looking at, um, looking at some fire stopping contractors to try to uh, break our way a little bit more into that part of our industry. So, yeah, that's the hope. Um, I think once, once the SFA comes and we can – we can talk about that plainly that that's it's not you know because there's some skepticism is the money going to run out which the legislation doesn't read that way it doesn't run out um like the uh ppp stuff that the uh, right. payroll stuff um it doesn't run out um so but yeah i think it's uh yeah we're looking forward to next year um seeing what we can do here good stuff all right terry burke joining us on our live line he is a business manager heat and frost insulators local eight based in cincinnati ohio insulator eight insulators that's plural eight.com is their website we'll continue the conversation right after this this is america's workforce more shows available at awfradio.com it takes layuna to keep america running over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. By the way, this next segment brought to you part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we uh, rejoin Terry Burke, I want to give you another plug here for the 2023 AFL-CIO Dr. Martin Luther King Civil and Human Rights Conference, which will be held next month in Washington, D.C., AFL-CIO is sending out emails on this daily, and they say, as we have seen over the past few years, there's so much work left to be done to advance civil and human rights both across the country and inside our own labor movement. We hope you'll join us for this engaging, inspiring, and educational experience. You want to get some more information? And to register, just go to themlkconference.org the mlkconference.org let's go back to cincinnati rejoin terry burke terry is business manager with the heat and frost insulators that would be a local eight terry i see they finally introduced the federal mechanical insulation act p dalmini on behalf of the labor management trust was talking about this uh, on the last time we uh, we had him on the show and he was saying it was about to be introduced. I think it was introduced about maybe two weeks ago. Why don't you explain what this is all about? I'd like to get your point of view, especially for, for Local 8, what this is going to mean for your local. Go ahead. Yeah, so the Federal Mechanical Action Act, the way I understand it, changes the Energy Independence and Securities Act 2007. So in that legislation, it defines what mechanical action properties are, um, expands on the definition of energy and water valuations. And I think this is the biggest part um, or the best part I see in this is that it requires a qualified individual to install the mechanical insulation. Um, and a qualified individual is defined as someone who's completed an apprenticeship, a registered apprenticeship program. Um, all very good things to promote our industry and just to put light on the benefits of utilizing mechanical insulation because we're kind of a little bit on the unknown side. Not as mainstream as like the electric electrical industry or, um, you know, certainly HVAC, things like that. So, um, 
they they being Pete and our international asked us to reach out to across the aisle to a, a local congressman, um, Dr. Brad Winstrup. We sent a letter because he's on the committee. The way we explained to us and uh, asked for support for that for this legislation. I think they're due to meet very soon um, on on further meeting on this uh, topic. So. We're we're happy, proud to be uh, to help out where we could, you know, with this with this important piece of uh, legislation. I see on your website you say mechanical insulation is the oldest green technology. It is uniquely positioned to be at the forefront to addressing the future problems. Insulation can reduce the number of tons of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, prevent loss of energy control condensation, regulate the surface temperature, and protect public health, wellness, and occupant safety. Mechanical insulation, this is really important. It's vital to the health of any building. It provides life-saving measures of preventing mold, infectious disease control to slow the spread of airborne diseases, and fire stopping to stop the spread of fire. Terry, this this is like a no-brainer here. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, uh, in the city of Cincinnati, uh, do you think people understand this? Uh, I mean, I, you know, with everything, anything new, and it's not new, it's been around for a long time, but there's still there's still a process here, uh, an educational process, getting out in the community and saying, you know what, uh, you could pay me now or pay me later. And, and But the other part of this is preventing mold, infectious disease. Hey, you know what, we want a safe environment to live and work in. Um, is that, is that conversation happening right now? Yeah, we've been having it with, as a local here for probably, see, we got a thermal imaging camera. That was probably close to 10 years ago, worked with the local politicians, but it's a very repetitive, you got to kind of keep doing it. So we went out and did some energy audits like at city hall and put together, you know, those presentations to, kind of show and the camera could put the wow power on it where you can see where your energies your hot spots are and try to sell that just continually trying to promote this is what we do this is why we do it and put together and stuff but it's a very to me it's a very long process um but you just kind of kind of stay at it keep throwing your line out same spot eventually you'll get you're going to get a hit um that's what we've done here with this but it is a process i think Terry, I think it's really important to point out that you need a skilled workforce. You want to do this right. You want to install that mechanical insulation right the first time. Now, can you talk about, I'm sure you've seen a lot of what they call shoddy work. I mean, we see that a whole lot in uh, with non-union contractors and what happens many times. They have to do the job over again. They low bid. They don't do it right. It costs more in the long run because it's got to be done properly. Uh, this legislation, it's my understanding, might change some of that. You know anything about that? Yeah, with the uh, with the apprenticeship piece, you know, they're, where they're defining the um, the qualified individual who's applying the insulation. If somebody that's completed an apprenticeship program, our apprenticeship programs are second to none. Um, that's where you that gives you the guarantee to me that gives you the guarantee that this thing your projects are going to be done correctly and on time by somebody that's 
got very specific training to do that craft, to do that work. I think that's the biggest piece there, yes. I'm just thinking, too, if this legislation, and Pete had this conversation with us not too long ago, it, it's a job opportunity. It's going to open up the floodgates for uh, for more people to enter the apprenticeship program. Right now, you have 160 members. How many do you have in your apprenticeship program right now, Terry? Uh, about 30. About 30? Is that pretty yeah, normal? That's a little bit below normal. The you know the pandemic, you know, the environment in the you know in the United States kind of that's it's hit us just like most other places, and it's uh, it's been tough. It's been tough to retain people. Yeah, but I would imagine with legislation like this, and obviously more education to the public, this uh, this can grow your union. Especially, Absolutely. you know, you got the new year right around the corner. Do you have your uh, eyes on any sites, on any percentage of, of what you'd like to grow? Oh, 10% a year. Yeah, okay. that's, what we're, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, 10% a year. Because we have a lot of retirements coming up. So we got to keep, we got to stay ahead of that. If nothing else, we got to, you know, maintain, stay ahead of that. So there's some challenges. Um, yeah, and this, that piece of legislation would certainly, um, would help curb that a little bit, I believe, you know, with the, as the job opportunities grew as a result. So, mm-hmm. well, one more thing here before we go, you, uh, you had a, a game changer of an election there. You had a longtime conservative. I believe it was Steve Shabbat that lost mm-hmm. his seat to a Democrat. Um, boy, I tell you, and, and Cincinnati is a pretty conservative area. I'm sure you had a hand in that, right? Oh, yeah, we supported Greg Landsman uh, tremendously, you know, for our local went all in. Uh, our interna- international helped out with those, the financial piece as well. Uh, and Greg Landsman's a great guy. He was, as a councilman, he uh, he worked with me on the energy audit stuff, supported that. Um, and then more broad stroke, you know, he, we met monthly with the local building trades, uh, business managers and um had a, what we call a labor roundtable. Any issue, uh, we was free to talk about. He was very responsive. Um, it was it was just a good good overall thing. I like um, that. So looking forward to forward to him. You know, when he gets up there to Washington, see what he's gonna gonna do. So that's what we want. We want labor friendly politicians there. Good stuff there, mm-hmm. Terry. Thank you so much for joining us, Terry Burke. Business manager, Heat and Frost Insulators, local eight base in Cincinnati, Ohio. Insulators eight. Dot com is your website. You take care. Keep uh, keep working on that 10%. Let's talk in the new year. Okay, buddy? Yep. Sounds good. Thank you. You got it. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the American Federation of Government Employees and the latest from the Carpenters Union. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.